Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So I observed one of my long-honored traditions, holiday traditions, of consuming way too much cheese on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Um, I actually, I went to the grocery store Christmas Eve, a last-minute run, and... uh, Appropriate use of run. Yeah, yeah. I'm standing at the checkout, and I didn't realize the combination of items that I had, but it was a bottle of salsa de queso, uh, which is liquid cheese, some American cheese slices for our veggie Big Macs, a block of pepper jack cheese, and a bundle of toilet paper. It says so much about who we are. It really does. And the person who was ringing me up, just was she was just shaking her head and laughing. I think she <laughs> wanted to say something, but probably company policy prohibited it. Mm, good call. No, it was a good time. And uh, overall, I think we did really well. Uh, I only cried once on Christmas. That's kind so. of a, a new indoor record for wow. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done. <laughs> I did notice you teared up when you saw that I bought you bobby pins. You know I did. To replace all the ones that I found in the vacuum cleaner. Bobby pins and elastics and chapstick. How How is a girl not to cry? You know my soul. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. We got some pretty amazing gifts, though. Uh, I posted a picture of our new uh, fancy feet. Yeah, we got slippers. Yours look like uh, demon claws. And They're mine, werewolf. Werewolf. Okay, and mine are uh, Sasquatch feet. So I can now go out in the yard and create a hoax <laughs> of some sort. Also got another gift in, a, uh, in the form of an email suggesting this topic today. Ooh. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Stanislav Zukalski? I don't think so. All right. He was an artist. Many thought he was a genius. And certainly by looking at his artwork, I would say, yes, he was. He kind of, um, his, his, his style was not really surrealism, but it kind of bordered on that. It was very exaggerated and extreme. Uh, You would recognize some of his art if I were to show you a picture of it. He went to the Academy of Fine Arts in Krakow, 
He was part of the art scene in Chicago in the 20s. He was the founder of an artistic movement called the Tribe of the Horned Heart, which centered on Polish artists who sought inspiration in the pagan or pre-Christian history of Poland. But more interesting, over 40 years, developed a theory that says, among other things, that we are all enslaved by human Sasquatch hybrids. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> it's a belief he called Zermatism. Zermatism. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. I got to say, I'm enslaved by these slippers right now. Your Sasquatch feet are enslaving my heart. Oh, that's beautiful. Right? Yeah. Some, I bet you but... never thought in a million years you would utter that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> So he was born in Poland in 1893, immigrated to the U.S. in his teens. He returned to Poland to study at, uh, at Krakow's Academy of Fine Arts. As a young adult, he joined the Chicago art scene, became a vital part of the Chicago Renaissance. In 1922, according to Wikipedia, he married Helen Walker, uh, the artist daughter of Dr. Samuel J. Walker, a prominent member of Chicago society. He returned to Poland in 1934, but after uh, the war broke out and the capitulation of Warsaw in September of 39, he took refuge in the U.S. Embassy since he was uh, he was an American citizen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you just going to skip past the word capitulation like I'm supposed to know what that means? Fly right past capitulation. The action of surrendering or ceasing to resist an opponent or demand. Okay. Thanks, Siri. Thank you. Together with its employees, he managed to flee Poland and settle in California. And he was in, uh, I think, Glendale, uh, right outside of Los Angeles. Because of the war, he left almost all of his work in Poland. Most of it was destroyed by the Germans. He was more a sculptor. He did sketches as well, but, but mostly sculpted. And uh, most of his uh, sculptures were destroyed in the war. So he settled in Los Angeles in, in Glendale in uh, 1940. And he became friends with George DiCaprio, who is Leonardo's dad. I did not know. Yeah. He never really, again, achieved the type of world recognition that he had as an artist when he was in Poland. People didn't even know who he was while he was living in California, for the most part. And again, his life's work had been pretty much destroyed in the war. Mm. He made ends meet by just doing odd jobs here and there. Once in a while, he would do like maybe some art design for a film or, okay. or something like that. But he never really achieved any type of world-renowned artistic recognition like he had before. So during this time, beginning in 1940, according to kookscience.com... Kook science. Zukowski devoted, uh, devoted most of his time examining the mysteries of prehistoric ancient history of mankind, the formation and shaping of languages, faiths, customs, art, and how they all kind of uh, tied together. He had a theory that we were all one people that came from Easter Island. Oh, very interesting. Well, at least... That's where we came from after the uh, most recent flood or deluge 14,000 years ago. Okay. He wrote a manuscript, 43 different volumes, covering a variety of these issues, and somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 pen sketches oh. he drew inside these uh, these manuscripts that uh, put forward his theory as to what what it's all about. He said that all human culture derived from post-deluge Easter Island. In all human languages, one can find traces of the original ancient mother tongue. Uh, in his view, 
humanity was locked in an eternal struggle with the sons of Yeti, the offspring of Yeti and human beings. His theory was that after the deluge, the surviving human beings uh, swam to Easter Island and uh, climbed up on Easter Island. Uh And then when the floods started to recede, those surviving members of the human race reached out and repopulated the earth. But we were not the only things that survived. The other thing, one of the other things that survived were Sasquatches and Yetis. And uh, these guys would just come in and rape our women. Sasquatches would. Uh Uh-huh. What... Where is this? What what supports this theory? I don't... He's got 47 volumes of work that support this theory. Um, Um, (laughs) That support it? Well, it it, it postulates, Mm. shall we say. Okay. He said, all of our recorded history begins anew in the mud and the murk. Our faces stained by the residue of waters we swam to emerge from. These... Flood scum lines, he called them, became tribal markings of our ancient ancestors, differing from culture to culture. Uh, Different currents meant different ways of swimming, but ultimately all the same oceanic source. So he said, because the water was so muddy and people had to swim for so long that when they emerged, there were mud marks on their face. And, And that's what inspired tribal markings in um, various cultures. Okay. But even though we had just gone through this uh, this this worldwide flood, this was, again, 14,000 years ago, he, he theorized, uh, the new threat didn't come from massive planetary change, but as great a conflict, the new threat came from uh, man-apes, the Yeti, the Sasquatch, who had also survived the flood, and uh, they ravaged the human civilizations and polluted the pure human bloodlines. And his theory is that over time, that hybrid human Yeti uh, sort of, you you couldn't... It bred in so that... It it bred in so it was absorbed in and you can't tell by looking at a person. So you and I might be a hybrid Yeti we might be person even though you know modern cryptozoologists will say that the yeti is like a giant koala bear pretty much just peaceful uh, you know causing nobody harm except when maybe somebody encroaches upon their territory he says yetis were hostile raiders of human villages killers of men rapers of women and even though you'd be hard pressed to recognize a uh, human sasquatch hybrid among us According to his theory, uh, they frequently position themselves as our cruelest leaders, whether it's ancient emperors or tyrants, uh, medieval conquerors or kings, the Nazis, the Bolsheviks, uh, wherever the uh, children of the Yeti find themselves able to take the reins of power from man, he said, Mm -hmm. violence and imperial ambition follow. Oh, I see. So... Humankind isn't evil and no and vile and dangerous. It's it's the human yeti hybrids. They're to blame for the world's troubles. Right. We were perfect. Sure. And it's because of the yeti blood that uh, that infiltrated our you veins. Know, once you get that yeti blood in you, you get all antsy in your pantsies. <laughs> 
Zukowski, uh, who was a highly visual thinker because he was an artist, said it was readily apparent which physical characteristics would reveal a son of Yeti. Mm -hmm. Uh, Long upper lips, sharply angled undercut noses, a certain squatness or roundness in physique, a short and possibly even a short ape-like tail. And always accompanying these physical quirks, are the inescapable mental characteristics, an inborn need to dominate and possess, an almost uniform inclination to communism, and a desire to cause violence and provoke terror. Wait a minute. A couple of artists in Los Angeles in the 70s found out he was living there and they befriended him and over the years spent a great deal of time with him and they talked about... uh, some of his eccentric behavior. They would. They were at a gas station one time, mm-hmm. and he jumped out of the car and ran over to one of the gas station attendants and started measuring his arms and then accusing him of being a Yeti hybrid. See, that's just rude. I mean, you can be eccentric and you can have theories and stuff, but don't go measuring people. Not at gas stations anyway. You know, it's something that my dad always said when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be rude. Never measure gas station attendants against their will unless they're consenting. And then it's fine. Right. (laughs) Please go on. Zukowski argues that instead of ostracizing every son of Yeti in every country, we should um, expose them to fine art. He says that every being can be redeemed. So have these Yeti uh, Sasquatch hybrids partake in creative art, applied arts, literature, Mm -hmm. medicine, all forms of engineering. Uh, He says, why then will they excel in the above branches of creative contribution? Because as frightfully inferiority obsessed males and females who never get beautiful human women and uh, men into their beds, they persistently dream of the impossible to endure their mental hardships. They develop extraordinary patience and such perfect imagination that almost anything they dream of, they are capable of contriving. Thus, patience and imagination together with their animal vitality make them capable to contribute miracles of inventions in every sphere of interest. So, in order to tame these wild Yeti hybrids, he's telling, you know, give them a a paint-by-number book. Just got to force them to watch Die Hard. Clockwork Orange them into enjoying art of all types. Today outside... Look at this. Look at this Thomas Kincaid placemat. (laughs) Look at it. Today, outside of the fans of art and pockets of the Bigfoot research community, Mm -hmm. the theory of uh, Zermatism finds little credit and less support, but there are some who have incorporated the basic ideas of his science into their work, notably... Can we just not be so loosey-goosey with the word science? Let's say theories. Okay, Okay, fine, fine, fine. So there are some who have incorporated the basic ideas of his theory uh, into their own work. Notable among these are the Dobsians, a messianic apocalyptic splinter of the Catholic Judeo-Ursian faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unlike Zukowski, the Dobsians assert that the lineage of the Yetis are the true geniuses of the human world and that being a son of Yeti brings with it great power or, quote, slack. They find no fault in the ancient Yeti and instead argue the Yeti were superior to earlier humans, a point speculated on, albeit briefly, by Sukalski himself in his studies of the physical form of the Northern American Bigfoot. 
Uh, the fact that the Dobsinians are presently the ones carrying the torch for zematic theory forward, that may really kind of harm things because it becomes more of a weird religion and less of a scientific uh, study. Uh, he wanted it to be a serious scientific study. Indeed, it must be said, it says, that in order for Zermatism to find real grounding, it must be preserved against the intrusions of the fringe religious and brought firmly back to the domain of scientific right. inquiry. Sure. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Don't make this weird, guys. Let's just keep this rational. <laughs> but to me, the weird thing is, you know, it's such an out there theory. He spent 40 years developing this. Mm -hmm. And this was not some guy who just was a guy. He was a world-renowned shaper of art. He was considered to be a genius. Among his admirers are Leonardo DiCaprio, who sponsored a retrospective exhibition entitled Struggle at the Laguna Art Museum in 2000. And uh, James Maynard Keenan from Tool recommended it, saying any collection of works you can find by this man is well worth the effort. Right, but that's his art. That's my point, is that he, on one hand, he was this great respected artist sure. who really changed the face of the art world in the 20s and the 30s. And then on the other hand, here's a guy who says that the gas station attendant is a Yeti hybrid, and he can prove it with a measuring tape. Yeah, you know, we've talked about before how sometimes when you have, uh, when you excel in certain parts of life, yeah, um, there are other parts that sometimes can suffer, social norms being often one of those. Well, you know, we've talked about this with Salvador Dali. You know, you, you have this incredible skill develop in, in one area. And then yeah. on the other hand, you're like, really, it's difficult for you to socialize or maybe you just don't develop as quickly in another. You know, and that happens a lot with the genius struggles. I think you're right. I think there is, on one hand, that uh, element of, of savantism. And then the, on the other hand, there is that genius versus madness mm. argument where one step further, you cease being a genius and you become a madman. Sure. And, you know, Dali was like that. And it, because geniuses can see things in a different way. Yes. But so do, you know, people who are off their rockers. They see things in a different way. And you just got to find a way that is socially acceptable, uh, but also neat enough for people to go, ooh. Leonardo DiCaprio has produced a documentary called Struggle, the Life and Lost Art of Sukalski, mm -hmm. which uh, was just released on Netflix last week. You can check it out for yourself. It deals much more in his art than his uh, Yeti uh, hybrid theory, but it does deal with that to a Ooh, degree. Let's watch that. Yeah. I'd never heard of him until um, Megan Wilson sent us a uh, Facebook message suggesting this topic. Megan, you're the best. Thanks, Megan. Because now I think I have another artist that I need to explore. His work is, uh, is creepy and it's kind of like in, in some ways it also it's like uh, Giger. I need to see some of okay, it. I'll show you some. Oh, pretty great, huh? Oh, I definitely recognize that one. Yeah, he's he was pretty well known. 
The whole destruction of uh, so much of his sculpture work, it, it really makes me so sad. It is sad. And one of his uh, favorite pieces was thought to have been destroyed. And he lamented over that in his final years because he had just uh, cast it in plaster. And his idea was to, to cast it in bronze one day, but he couldn't afford to do it at the time. Mm-hmm. The sculpture, which is like a hand with dragon fingers, are dragon heads on the on the fingers, surfaced in the 90s in a private art collection somebody uh somebody had it and his friends that he met in LA raised money and bought it and then had it cast in bronze oh and then when he passed away they took his ashes to Easter Island and spread them on Easter Island in honor of his beliefs oh that's so sweet those are good friends those are good friends oh that makes me feel things Stanislaw Zukalski. Check out his work online and uh, maybe check out Leonardo DiCaprio's documentary. It's called Struggle, The Life and Lost Art of Zukalski. Definitely. And it's on Netflix. Or as my mom says, Netflix. Netflix. Halfway through and you're still awake? It must be time for That Thing in the Middle. Today's Thing in the Middle, weird and fun facts about sports. Number five, in 1963, Major League Baseball pitcher Gaylord Perry remarked, they'll put a man on the moon before I hit a home run. On July 20th, 1969, an hour after Neil Armstrong set foot on the surface of the moon, Perry hit his first and only home run while playing for the San Francisco Giants. That's amazing. (laughs) Of course, Perry, a renowned spitballer. Oh, that makes me think he was a rapper. Is he not a rapper? (laughs) Well, no, he threw illegal pitches. Got away with it for years. Oh, my. Number four. There are 336 dimples on a regulation golf ball. Who took the time to count those up? You know, when I was a kid, my dad used to go to the golf course and collect golf balls that had been hit, like, outside sure. the into the water, rough and stuff. Water balls. And the water yeah. balls yeah. that other people wouldn't go and get, but my dad go and, and skulk around and, and steal them. And we had this giant, uh, like, uh, sailor's trunk full of old golf balls that I used to get into and then cover myself up with them. It's like your own little ball pit. It was like a little ball pit (laughs) that smelled like turf. Number three, dueling is legal in Paraguay as long as both parties are registered blood donors. Well, that just makes good sense. I think that's nice. Number two, in 18th century England, gambling dens employed someone whose job it was to swallow the dice if there was a police raid. (laughs) I bet I know it was part of that application process. Swallowing dice. American baseball legend Babe Ruth wore a cabbage leaf under his cap to keep his head cool. He changed it every two innings. You're listening to the Box of Oddities. The question is, why? What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? I, I, I had to play it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm kind of being a little self-indulgent here. Maybe a little. Yeah, it's fun though. No, you did a good job. Thanks. You did you you, you do you, good. You do good. You do good. What do you have? <laughs> Sweet pants. I wanted to tell you about um this woman that I I spent a good portion of today reading about a 46-year-old woman in Ireland, and she said that she's splitting up from her husband, um, which, you know, okay, that's 
pretty common story, unfortunately. Sure, a lot sure. of marriages don't make it. Except that um, her husband was a Haitian pirate ghost who lived in the <laughs> 1700s. <laughs> I heard something about this. She fell in love with a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A Haitian pirate ghost oh. that lived in the 1700s. Tell me all about this. All right. So the Mirror reported that uh, Amanda Teague uh, posted on social media, quote, I will explain all in due course, but for now I want to say, uh, be very careful when dabbling in spirituality. It's not something to mess with. Okay. Yeah. But let's okay. let's back up. Sure. So Amanda Teague uh, claims that her spiritual relationship with her husband, Jack Teague, uh, began in 2015 when she was lying in bed at home in Ireland, and she noticed that uh, that a spirit was near to her. Uh-huh. She, she could feel it. Um, then she noticed that his spirit was kind of hanging out uh, with her a lot while she was driving in the car or watching TV. He was just nearby. Arr. She said initially that she wasn't interested in making contact with the spirit until she realized that she could speak to him through a medium. So the pair started to get to know each other. And Amanda said that pretty soon she started developing strong, loving feelings toward him. Uh, She said, quote, "Uh, we became really close. The more I learned about him, the more that I liked him. Now, Amanda now Teague, uh, worked as a Jack Sparrow impersonator at an amusement park. Is that what attracted the Haitian uh, pirate ghost to her? She thinks so. She thinks that the 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 spirit connection was there through camaraderie. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, plus, if in the um, Pirates of the Caribbean or Caribbean. Uh, however yeah. you choose to say it uh in, in those films you know, the guy that plays uh jack sparrow's dad his name's edward teague and then of course jack sparrow is would actually be jack teague so she's married to jack sparrow it, just to clarify okay so one day uh jack said to her we can actually be together you know but I had never heard of an intimate relationship between a spirit and a human before. She investigated a little bit. Mm -hmm. And throughout this time, they were having a very normal relationship. You know, they, they, one or the other would act out when they were jealous of the other. They'd have arguments about responsibilities about the house. But really, it just came down to Netflix and chill with a pirate ghost. There, that's we're we're getting there. Okay. They'd even go out on romantic getaways and engage in lovemaking. Teague described their chemistry as incredible, and she said that Jack is the best sex she's ever had. Hmm, what does that say? Two years after they first met, the couple got engaged, and this is how she tells the story. Jack proposed to me. I told him I wasn't really cool with having casual sex with a spirit, and that I wanted to make a proper commitment to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's not some sort of, you know, ghost hoe. <laughs> no, no. If I'm going to be in a long-term relationship with somebody, she said, I have the right to be married. So Amanda has obviously never saw her husband in physical form, but that she imagined that he was very similar to Captain Jack, played by Johnny Depp in the movie Pirates of the Caribbean. At the wedding, there was even a painting of Johnny Depp present as well, Jack Sparrow. Okay. Though, she said, he is black, so not the same color as Johnny Depp, but uh, he has a very dark jet black hair, so he tells me. Mm. Can you really trust 
a pirate ghost, to be honest. I mean, maybe she's being catfished from the other world. That's the thing. That's what I think happened. I mean, okay, let's get back into it. So Amanda found a shaman priest and a registrar who actually agreed to marry the couple, despite their unusual relationship dynamic. And they got married in international waters because in, in Ireland, it's not legal to marry a ghost. Is it not legal or just? It's not a legal wedding. Okay. All right. Right. But it's not illegal. Correct. Okay. It's just not officially recognized. There is no provision in UK law for uh, ghost marriages. Uh So the couple took a boat into international waters off the coast uh, for their ceremony. Marrying a dead person is legal in certain countries, as we've talked about before. She thought that by going into international waters, which aren't governed by a particular country, their union could be upheld. Teague says that she is the first person in the UK and Ireland to legally marry a ghost, despite admitting that the law doesn't really recognize their marriage. Um, She says that she followed all proper procedures instructed to her by her lawyers to bypass the rules. A family lawyer at Glacier Jones Law told Newsweek that marrying a ghost and marrying a dead person are two different things. Mm. Mm. And neither are legally recognized in the UK or Ireland. They went on to say, it is not illegal. It's not a criminal act and you're not committing an offense, but the government does not recognize it. They won't be allowed the benefits of a married couple. So he can't like get on her insurance or something. (laughs) Sucks that he won't get like the benefits of a reduced dental rate or. No, no. Can't access her 401k. Amanda chose a 1700s-style dress, similar to ones from uh, Jack's time, to wear at the ceremony. It actually was quite lovely. Mm. There were lots of lace. Um, She also held a flag bearing a skull and crossbones as a symbol for her husband. I told him, she said, I don't want him to see the dress before the wedding, but if he had a cheeky sneak peek while I was trying it on, I wouldn't know. Well, that's true. He's a ghost. She said, I don't know where he is or if he's around most of the time. It's hard to keep secrets up from him, that's for sure. The couple had matching rings designed for the ceremony. It incorporated Amanda's favorite metal, white gold, and brass, which is Jack's favorite metal. But of course, Jack can't wear his ring, so it was fitted to a candle uh, that was lit at the ceremony to represent him, which I thought was a nice touch. That is beautiful. Can, Can he have said I do, though? I mean, that's a that's a thing when in the Princess Bride, uh, you know, did you say I do? And she said, well, I guess I well, you didn't say it. You didn't do it. You know. Right. Okay. so Amanda said, obviously, I can't speak for him, but there has to be verbal consent from both people. If I gave consent on his behalf, it would put a question mark over the authenticity of the marriage. (laughs) So we had an independent medium speak for Jack. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just, it's really proactive on her part, I think. Right. An independent medium. It's like having an independent survey done. Right. Or appraisal. Yeah. You don't want a biased medium. Absolutely not. No, no. It's the same when you hire a mediator. You want someone who's going to come in, you know, fair and balanced and say you're ghost husband's words for him accurately. 
Anything less would be a travesty. Amanda says there's no way a person and a spirit can have a baby. But after the wedding, she did have a pregnancy scare. (laughs) Okay. In an interview, she said, shortly after we got married, my period stopped. I did a couple of pregnancy tests and they came back positive. I was shocked. I didn't think I'd have to worry about birth control when I was having sex with a ghost. (laughs) On further tests, it turns out that it was the beginning of menopause, and sometimes you can get high HPG readings. What a relief that was, she said. Yeah, I'll bet. Little pirate ghost babies running around the house. The pitter-patter of little peg legs swinging from the drapes with a saber. Pat-tunk, pank-tunk, 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 pank-tunk. So, um... Birthdays, Christmases have gone by, and uh, how does that work, right? Yeah. Um, She says that very often uh, Jack will speak through one of the her one of Amanda's daughters from a previous marriage. Um, So, like Amanda's daughter said, "Hey, I think Jack wants you to have this bread maker." And she's like, well, where's this money coming from for this bread maker? And then like that day, someone wanted to buy something from her on off a Facebook selling site. And it was the same amount as the bread maker. It was this whole big thing. Wow. For uh, his last birthday, uh, Amanda said she paid for them to go away so that they could have some time alone together. Uh, it was more practical, she thought, than buying physical gifts. Men are hard enough to buy for as it is, she says. Uh, Especially when they've been dead for 400 years. Right. It, it has been kind of difficult in, uh, buying gifts for each other. Uh, also, he's fascinated by tech. So he, uh, like, he likes to mess with her phone and turn lights on and off, though other people haven't seen that happen. But it's more of a, a private you know, couples thing. How much would that suck? You marry a 400-year-old dead guy, uh, pirate ghost, Mm -hmm. and then he just spends his entire day playing PS4. You know? It's like, (sighs) really? (laughs) Even pirate ghost guys? So there's a lot about the modern world that he is interested in. And she says that she's very into the 1700s, so it balances out. She did, however earlier this year, speak to the Irish Mirror and said that it's time that she let everyone know that the marriage is over. What happened? Um, Well, she won't come out and say it. She just said that dabbling in the spirit world can be dangerous. Um, And I think, you know, there's a lot of theories about what could have happened. Like you said, she could have been catfished. Mm. Um, Maybe... There was some sort of two-timing going on. You know, she said she didn't know where he was most of the time. Sure. Maybe he was ghost married to someone else. Who knows? Yeah, you, it's really hard to hold a pirate ghost accountable. It really is. Yeah. yeah, he could have multiple lives. You don't know. Anyway, so uh, wishing, obviously, both of them the, the best of luck. It's always hard to go through something like this. But where uh, their marriage was in no way legal, I guess at least the paperwork for divorce is a little easier. Sure. Uh, sure. Since there is none. That does simplify things. Yeah. Immensely. Yeah. Wow. I, I really wish I knew what, what the breaking point was. I want to know what happened, too. But sometimes, you know, it's it's best to give couples their privacy I suppose that's, during these kinds of times. That's true. That's true. 
Well, hopefully she'll do a follow-up interview because this is going to drive me friggin' crazy. Well, I know she wrote a book about the relationship, but I don't believe anything regarding the breakup was involved in the book. So mm. um, maybe there's going to be a second book. Fingers crossed. There she is in her wedding gown with the painting of Jack Sparrow. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a beautiful gown. You're right. On her wedding boat. On her wedding boat. I mean, like we've said a million times, we can never know with 100% certainty that uh, something is true or not true. That's true. We try to be very open-minded about things. Yeah. So if you like pirate ghosts, then you probably would really love to come to Nashville and see our live show. That was the most awkward segue ever. I loved it. I loved it. Tickets are still available. General admission tickets are still available. Uh, You can go to theboxofoddities.com, click on the live show link, and we will see you in Nashville on the 27th of February for the very first Box of Oddities live show. Thank you so much to those of you who have sent us pictures of your Christmas booty that involved the Box of Oddities. Mm. Uh, We've got some photos of coffee mugs and T-shirts and baby gear, and I'm loving every single one of them. So the Box of Oddities, of course, it happens twice a week. We will be back on Monday. Until then, keep flying that skull and crossbones. Freak flag. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The box of oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.